Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Go into the chapel and we're gonna get married. Go into the chapel and we're gonna get married. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Weddings, they've gone from celebrating the big day to more like the big year, says journalist Annie Atherton. There's the proposal party now, the will you be my bridesmaid party, a mini moon before the ceremony, even more than one wedding. This hour, we look at what accounts for the supersizing of weddings and how couples and guests are handling it all. Are you a fan? After all, it is a major life moment. We're going to the chapel to see how you're getting married these days. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The typical wedding, maybe 10 or so years ago, came with the expectation of a ceremony, reception, rehearsal dinner, and perhaps a post-wedding brunch. Before the big day, there was a bachelor or bachelorette party, a bridal shower. And that, for some, already felt like a lot. But recently, even before the pandemic, weddings started turning into a lot more in the U.S., which has meant more dates to save, more people to involve, and more money to spend. Annie Atherton calls it wedding sprawl in her recent piece for The Atlantic, and she joins me now. Welcome to Forum, Annie. Hi, how's it going? Going well. Thanks so much for being on with us. Also with us is Shonda Daniels, a Bay Area wedding planner who specializes in LGBTQ plus couples and weddings for people of color. Shonda, so glad to have you with us. Thank you. So excited to be here today. And Seal Otnis is also with us, Professor Emeritus of Business Administration at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. She studies rituals and consumer culture. Seal, thank you so much for being with us as well. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Annie, I'm going to start with you since your article inspired today's show. What is Wedding Sprawl? And feel free to go through the additional events that you've noticed sort of chronologically from proposal to honeymoon that constitute Wedding Sprawl. Sure. Yeah, I think um, something that's funny about the term is that as big as it is, I every time I mention to anyone, they know exactly what I mean (laughs) as that. vibe it's like oh yes things just keep getting bigger and bigger um so one dimension to that is cost um kind of like a vertical growth but then there's also this expansion outward in time Mm. Uh, for instance the the amount of time people spend engaged has increased 
significantly in the past few decades. Hmm. Um, it's now something like a year and a half. So, you know, that, that figure alone shows that there's just so it's just such a longer period of people's lives. Um, and then in terms of the supplementary events associated with the weddings, um, you know, maybe there used to be just a ceremony. Now it's very, very common for a wedding to be two to three, even four days. Um, women used to only have a, a bridal shower until, you know, a couple decades ago. Now it's very common to have a bachelorette party. Um, that party is also now like two, three, four days. Um, a lot of people, as you mentioned, have proposal parties, engagement parties, multiple honeymoons. Um, so sprawl just kind of refers to the uh, trend outwards to make this occasion ever larger. And Shanta, have you noticed this? You've been planning weddings here for a long time, I think 25 years or so. Is this something that you have more couples asking for? Thank you. So it's not necessarily I have more couples that are asking for it. I feel like because how things have changed and people wanting to tell their love story in a more unique way, that it takes more than just one day. Mm -hmm. And it also it's also a way to show their guests how they appreciate them from for traveling such a long way and wanting to give them the ultimate experience. Yeah. So what are some examples of that that uh, you planned? So what I find is what I do is making sure that the couple's love story can be told from the, the welcome party, the rehearsal dinner, the wedding day itself, any extra activities like excursions or what have you that they want to provide for their guests who are getting there earlier. And then also like the farewell brunch. So it's so many different ways that we can tie in to telling their love stories. And that's what most couples are leaning towards now. Mm, interesting. And Annie mentioned cost. How would you say costs have changed? How much has this driven up the cost of a huge <laughs> wedding multi-day event? Well, that's <laughs> funny you ask. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, so I, I want to say this too. So the number that I'm going to give, <laughs> I have to say this first. The number that I am going to give, it has, it really depends on where the couple is in life. So the number that I am going to give may work for a different couple, right? So depending on who you are and where you are in life, you can still have this wedding weekend, but it it will have to fit into whatever your personal comfort zone and budget is. So what we typically do or what I typically work with is budgets within 400 to five, to anything higher than that. But on average, they typically land for the entire weekend about four fifty. Four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yes. I see. Okay. Wow. <laughs> um, and I, I do love though, Seal, what Shonda is saying, that there's just this real desire to be grateful, to appreciate guests making the effort to come to the events, especially if they've traveled and so on. But 
Why else do you think this is happening? Like, for example, it's been raised that maybe this is a pandemic reaction, like a pent up period of time when people could not really gather in large groups, not even comfortable gathering in large groups outside. I'm really glad that was a long question because my jaw is now off the floor from the $450,000 amount. Um, I will say, okay, so of course we do have this pandemic kind of rubber band effect, this compensatory issue. And another thing I thought about this morning was we also have this kind of um, gender relaxation, not only with um, you know, LGBTQ uh, weddings, because now they're legal. Uh, but we also have the fact that um, men are getting into wedding planning uh, in terms of these extra events in ways that um, they didn't get into before. For example, um, more events kind of for them. I mean, when I got married uh, in 1987, my husband's um, kind of uh, participation, the sort of nod to his participation was a, a groom's cake, right? That was kind of it. He didn't want a bachelor party. But um, I would also say that it's interesting that you see some sort of um, blurring of boundaries where women are now playing parts or partners are now playing parts that they might not have played uh, earlier. For example, the new trend I hear among the early, late 20 set are these mutual proposals. I would love to hear from uh, Shonda mm. and Annie where people actually propose to each other. So now it's another that the whole narrativization of your engagement, which of course all of this is driven much by social media and being able to tell and show your story uh, now includes the couples preparing, proposing to each other. So I just want to say, as I was listening to Shonda talk, what I really think we're almost planning now is a conference, not a wedding. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, this listener writes, for example, that's every single South Asian or Indian wedding. There, There is also part of the fact that we have been able in the U.S. to be more exposed to the idea of these multi-day weddings and really appreciating South Asian weddings for how involved um, they are as, as one of the factors. But yes, Annie, you know, how is it that people can spend that much on a wedding? So, <clears throat> you know, our jaws are all dropping at, you know, $400,000, $450,000, for a very good reason. And all I could think of is if it costs that much and we're seeing so much of it, what role um, does, for example, age play uh, in your ability to be able to resource a wedding like that? Like, do you think age is a factor? Where people are in their lives when they're getting married now is a factor. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Age is a factor. Um, people are getting married, you know, on average, seven years older um, than they were uh, not that long ago. Um, you know, most of in my personal friend group, it was really early 30s was like the big um, when this was all happening. And people certainly have come, a lot of people have come further in their careers and savings. Um, but I think it's also worth noting that it is still very much a norm to have wedding celebrations um, subsidized, for lack of a better word, by, by friends and relatives. Um, I included a figure in the article about how you know, the average couple really only pays for half of their wedding on average. So it, that it has a huge impact too. You know, not not everyone. Um, the average 
uh, amount spent is around 30,000. Um, of course, there's a, there is a huge range, but what your family is able to contribute or not, it does still play a, a large role. Hmm. Shonda, I'm curious what role social media plays. Do couples come to you, for example, having looked at a lot of beautiful photos on social media that have inspired their ideas for the weddings they want? Before I answer that question, <laughs> I'd like to... <laughs> I always have things like beginning things before I answer, but... Before I before I answer that, I want to speak on something else. So when the comments were made earlier about um, the different roles and things like that, I want to say that the wedding industry is in extremely inclusive now. So yes, there are people who really love and want to be involved, and we love that as wedding creatives to be involved and put their personality into all events, yeah. right? Just like wedding parties now, they are not just um, females on one side, males on another. Yeah. They are inclusive wedding parties. So the whole entire planning process now is very inclusive. And then in terms of who can, who are sponsoring or paying for weddings in general, it depends, it depends on if who's hosting, if the grandmother's hosting, if parents are hosting, if couples are hosting. The amount that I mentioned, the budget range, I've had it from parents who are hosting, but I've also had it more from couples who are hosting their own weddings. So it really mm. depends on where those people are in lives and what yeah. their priorities in terms of entertaining is. Like I said before, you can have the the wedding weekend, which is actually not a conference, is more it's more personal than that, right? Mm -hmm. So it really depends on who you are and where you are in life. Now, social well, media. Yeah, we are actually coming up on a break. So hold that thought as we dig into why the trend of, of wedding sprawl is happening and, and more lavish weddings are happening. And uh, let me remind listeners that you are listening to Forum, and we want to hear whether or not you've experienced wedding sprawl, either as a couple or as a guest, and what you think about it after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. That's You Can Have It All by Yola Tengo, which Forum producer Judy Campbell played at her wedding ceremony. And we are talking about weddings this hour, how they've gotten bigger, longer, more events during the engagement period with journalist Annie Atherton, who wrote a piece for The Atlantic called Welcome to Wedding Sprawl, with Shonda Daniels, a wedding planner who specializes in LGBTQ plus couples and weddings for people of color, with Seal Otnes, who focuses on rituals and consumer culture as a professor emerita of business administration at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and we have you, our listeners, with us. Have you experienced this growth in weddings, wedding sprawl, as Annie Atherton has coined it? Why do you think weddings have sprawled? What do you think is driving it? And do you agree with it? Are you a fan? Do you feel like this is giving a really important moment in life its due? Or do you think it's a little over the top? You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, by calling us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And just before the break, Shonda, I was asking you about whether or not social media plays a role. Annie had written in her piece that that seemed to be one factor. And I was just curious if you are seeing that from the people that you work with, that they are inspired by things they see on social. Yes. And I do have to say social media, it it has its good parts and it has its unrealistic parts. And that's the the piece as a wedding creative that we have to educate our clients on because yes, there's a lot of things that you see on social media and everyone wants to, not everyone, a, ma- a large majority of, of clients, they want to see their, they want to see like the viral moments. They want to see their wedding featured in magazines. They want to see their weddings used as inspiration for others to see themselves. However, we do have to have that conversation of what that means financially, because a lot of the things that we see on social media, they don't have a price tag associated with them. And so it's a lot of education. Um, But yes, a lot of couples, they do get inspired by that. And I have to tell them like, I get it. You may see a ton of things that you like, but we want to see things that you love and get inspired by that. So we have to have that real (laughs) realistic conversation. And sometimes it's a little painful, but I rather people are couples be educated when making those decisions. Yeah. Well, Annie, you've talked about how you've been struck by how quickly big weddings with lots of different events and so on um, leading up to them and even after them have become the norm so quickly. Do you think social media is a factor in how quickly they've been adopted? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, no question. I think um, vast majority of the time people are sharing videos and images um, from these events. And I think what's what's interesting is just uh, how weddings are a tradition and a a milestone and a ritual that have existed for centuries. And so it has that uh, feel about it as something very, very, very important, which it is. But because of that, um, we, you know, any norm that gets folded into it feels like something that you need to have. Um, And I think what if people maybe sometimes forget is that some of these things didn't, nobody was doing them until like five years ago or <laughs> a year ago. Um, so it's not to say that there's anything wrong with doing that, but that 
it, it creates like a false sense that this is the way that things have always been done. Even things like a white wedding dress are really like a it dates back to the Victorian era. That's not that long in the scheme of of life. Um, people didn't, women didn't used to even buy a specific wedding gown. They used to just wear a nice dress that they happen to have and would continue to wear. So um, that's just an example of how everything that gets added into what we think of as the sort of set of norms can very easily come to feel like something that if you don't do it, you might be missing out on like a crucial aspect of this ritual. Um, I, you know, I know I had to grapple with a lot of questions around that when I was getting married. Um, some I took, some I left. It was like a mix of tradition and not. Um, but every at every point, I feel like I had to have this huge internal narrative conversation of like, oh, but am I going to regret if I don't, mm. you know, have a long weekend bachelorette or something, you know? And it's funny because in our my parents' generation, nobody was doing a lot of these things. So it's just very Yeah, you write at one point in your piece, you say, for those planning a wedding, untangling what you actually want from what feels expected, especially when you're scrolling through social media, can be hard. I mean, that can that was hard even before social media. But I imagine if what feels expected is starting to expand, that can be pretty hard on people, especially if they're facing cost pressures. Um, that said, let me read this comment from a listener on Instagram who writes, we hosted a multiple wedding day event, but the first two days were only open to close family members. Our parents had not really met at that point. So all the events allow them to really get to know each other and relieve all the pressure on the day of the wedding. It also allowed us to celebrate each of our cultures without wearing us out. So, so, I mean, let's talk about the pluses of this. It really does enable people to spend more time with their guests, the more events they have. Right, Shonda? Yes, that is where I come. That is my point exactly, is that, yes, it gives you the opportunity to give them so many unique experiences, because just imagine if, if, one of you, if your guests, if they've never been to like Napa, if they've never been wine tasting, you can explore those different things. It's so, because if you think about it, the wedding day itself is such a, you have four hours, typically four hours to just kind of hang out with everybody and, and socialize. So this extended time it gives you more opportunities to connect. And I do agree 100% with Annie when when she said, like, if you don't, if, if it doesn't resonate with you, then don't do it. I tell my clients all the time that the only thing that you technically have to do is have an officiant and a marriage license. The way you want to tell your love story, there's nothing that's set in stone that you have to do except for those two things. So, you know, whatever budget, whatever you're working with, whatever speaks to you and brings you joy, that's what you do. And that's what we're here to plan. Hmm. Well, let me go to Lucy in San Francisco. Hi, Lucy, you're on. Hi. Yeah, I I love this conversation. I just got married in August up in Sonoma and we struggled a lot with the the ballooning, both from experiences that we've had at other weddings where, you know, uh, you know, music lights off at 10 and then you're like, oh, I was all dressed up and ready to have fun. And now everyone's like leaving immediately. And same with, you know, 
not being able to say goodbye to people on the Sunday, it kind of feels like a, like a sudden ending. And so very quickly from that, we were considering, you know, the after party when the venue closes at 10 or 11, like, do we want to have people to have a next place to go to? And then do we want to figure out how to get them there and the transportation pieces and similar with the breakfast, like, do we, you know, people are flying in and how do we honor the fact that they carted themselves across the country to come see us and, and make sure that they really have a fun time and it's not they fly in and fly out for a four-hour event. And I think it just really turned into a slippery slope very quickly with all of the mm. different events. But again, I really resonate with the time where people can connect and be together. I think that was the most amazing part of it, but it, it definitely ballooned very quickly. Yeah. Well, Lucy, thanks for sharing your experience. And clearly, you are not alone. Another listener writes, I was a bridesmaid five times. I was so happy to be asked. I enjoyed all the parties and being with my friends. At the same time, it was expensive to participate in the out-of-town bachelorette parties, the destination weddings, etc. A lot of these weddings happened when I was in my 20s and had less disposable income. Now I am finding the 40th birthday party to be the new sprawl. Again, wondering if age and where you're at and resources are a factor. Um, but see a lot, Miss, the other thing about this as we stay maybe on the, the plus side of a big celebration is that, as you point out, as we get older, weddings become the primary opportunity in adult life to have a big blowout. Like we at least perceive that there will be fewer of those opportunities for ourselves. Yeah, although the 40th birthday party is an interesting comment because it I'm is. <laughs> in the age group of where the 60th birthday party is now a big deal. I just do want to circle back to something Shonda, a comment I made about the conference. I completely 100% agree with Shonda that the you know the the issue here is to make sure you create intimacy and you allow this the love story, as you've said, to be told in the way that the couple and the families want them to be done. So that, um, I completely agree with that. I was thinking more of the logistical as aspects of the conferences. So um, your question about, um, so we've always understood weddings as a rite of passage, right? I mean, a rite of passage means that after you complete a particular activity, you're a different person than you were before the activity. So you go through this uh, ceremony, as Shonda said, the only really required thing, the officiant performing the ceremony, and you are no longer a single person. Now you're a married person. Uh, the only other two sort of major rites of passage uh, that are recognized globally are birth and death, and you're kind of not with it enough for either one of those. So of course, weddings are going to uh, be the ones that you can focus on and enjoy. Um, I would also like to say that um, th we've been sort of circling around this issue about um, global influences. And I think it's really fascinating. Somebody may alluded earlier to the Asian weddings and how uh, many of the uh, uh, North American weddings are starting to look more like Asian weddings, uh, in except with, with one exception. I think COVID had a um, sort of a little bit of a dampening. And Shonda, I'd love to hear your comments on this. It's a, it seems to be acceptable now not to have 500 people. You can have a more intimate ceremony, but spend as lavishly to create that experience because COVID made it, quote, okay to not have, you know, uh, to not have the giant ceremonies be the norm. But also all of the other um, 
uh, issues with global ceremonies, the multi-day ceremonies, the multi-changing of clothes, which is very fascinating. How many wedding dresses does one need now? If you ask Jennifer Lopez, she had four at the last ceremony. She had two ceremonies with Ben Affleck. Um, and so uh, it's very, and one of those dresses, by the way, featured handkerchiefs that could be detached and given as gifts to participants. So that was really fascinating. Anyway, so I think, yes, they become important. And I think to the point of everyone getting married at a later stage in life, uh, you've waited longer and you also may have your own money, as Shonda pointed out. Uh, and so it might even become more of a... Um, a sort of hoped for occasion that you now are ready to partake in. Yeah. Well, let me go next to caller Becca in Sunnyvale. Hi, Becca. You're on. What are your thoughts? Uh, hi. At, at age 43, I got married in 2008 with 170 people gathered for the church wedding and a dinner reception, all for under $17,000. And I'm wondering if people maybe want to cement their commitment with a number of services or ceremonies so that they don't separate and or divorce or i'm wondering if people want more ritual gatherings to make up for the poor quality of the wedding rituals that don't ask people to contribute they're more like an event on television um, well, Becca, thanks. To, to the first point, Annie, what are your thoughts on this with regard to people going all out for their weddings to maybe make the commitment even more cemented, especially in this age of divorce and separation? Um, I think that's an interesting point. I I don't know that a, a person needs to. I, I think I, I know perfectly happy couples that eloped. Um, so you know, I, I don't think it's a given. Um, but yeah. interesting point she made about um, having a great celebration for under 17. I mean, I think you could have a great celebration for far less. I, I think the the thing that I always think about is the fact that while, um, you know, spending hundreds of thousand dollars might be fine for some people's budgets, that, you know, there's recent reports that something like one in three Americans can comfortably cover a $400 emergency. Um, so the, the reality is that just for a large, large number of people, that's just not possible. Or if it is possible, they're either going to be going to debt, which is probably pretty ill-advised from a personal finance standpoint, or um, feeling bad that they are not doing more. And I think that's, you know, important that people are able to at least have a counter narrative that it doesn't it doesn't equal, um, you know, a bad marriage to not do something in particular. Well, Diane writes, um, I have attended many weddings. I am not a fan. I really don't need to have to sit through someone's love story with the divorce rate so high. I do understand that people who have not been allowed to marry would want to have a big bash. But still, I wish we celebrated educational achievements instead of marriages. I eloped, by the way. There are members of my family who still haven't forgiven me. Another listener writes, I got married relatively young at 24 and had a micro wedding. Only close family were in attendance. So including my husband and myself, there were only 11 people. The ceremony was at the Chabot Space and Science Center. We spent maybe $3,000 total, including outfits. It was perfect and the most beautiful day. Elizabeth writes, I think part of the most dramatic change in the last 20 years is that many of us have moved far from our families and it is an opportunity to see each other in a way we don't have other opportunities. Shonda, okay, so I want to ask you, if somebody wants to do this and they can't 
afford it. Where do they often make compromises? Where are you seeing sacrifices being made or cuts being made more often than not, you know, in favor of what and you give up what? Um, Okay, so the biggest the biggest places where people can be creative is their venue and their catering. So I feel like there's, because my first business, A Monique Affair, we, when I started off in the business, the highest budget that I was working on was $40,000. So I am very familiar with unique ways to make sure whatever budget that you're within, you still have an amazing experience and catering and venue is the number one and your wedding date. So say for instance, if you find like this amazing venue and you're not connected to a particular date, having some flexibility, that is the number one thing. Having flexibility, not being committed to a particular date. And then also like I said, being creative with your catering and then your guest list. That is the biggest factor is your guest list. Um, I think I heard um, someone mention about intimate weddings when COVID, like right when COVID was, (laughs) when we were able to come back out, the intimate weddings, we were dealing with maybe about 25 people, but then I don't know what happened. A couple of months later, we started, at the 175. And Mm. we haven't done anything that's smaller than that. So I feel like your guest list is the number one place to start and being realistic with how much you can actually spend comfortably. Because like Annie said, there's no right, there's nothing. If you spend 20,000, then you have to be realistic to what that 20000 can do and be confident. It, it says nothing about your marriage. It mm-hmm. says nothing about who you are. You just need to do what's comfortable for you. Yes. Do what you want, people. Though at the same time, we do find the supersizing of weddings pretty fascinating. And that's what we're talking about with you, our listeners, your thoughts on why your experiences of either being involved as a couple planning a wedding or someone attending a wedding. Also just on this, this conversation on expectations, how much of your wedding celebration did you want? And how much of it did you feel you were expected to have? And do you have any questions or concerns about any new expectations being set by the trends we are seeing today? Stay with us for more. We'll dig into that after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Por el día que llegaste a mi vida Paloma querida me puse a brindar Y al sentirme un poquito tomado Pensando en tus labios me dio por cantar me sentí superior a cualquiera y un puño de estrellas te quise bajar. That is Paloma Querida by Jose Alfredo Jiménez, which was the music for the first dance of foreign producer Blanca Torres' wedding. And we are talking about weddings and how you can separate the idea of the wedding you think you're supposed to have from the wedding you really want, especially these days as celebrations have become bigger Longer, with more events happening more often, we're hearing how couples, families, friends are handling the modern wedding with journalist Annie Atherton. She wrote an Atlantic piece called Welcome to Wedding Sprawl. Shonda Daniels, a wedding planner. Seal Otnes, a professor emerita of business administration who studies rituals and consumer culture at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And you are listeners at 866-733-6786. On Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, at KQED Forum. Your emailing forum, at KQED.org. Let me go to Kristen in Mountain View. Hi, Kristen. You're on. Hi, Mina. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, Yeah, so um, I actually, this is, I'm getting married in about two months, and we're getting married in Italy, and this is actually my second marriage, and I learned a lot from the first marriage um, about that wedding sprawl and we had a really big wedding and it cost a lot of money and it was local Um, and you know when it's local I I felt more pressure to invite more people you know my mom's friends and all of these people I don't really know with my fiance when we got engaged we decided to keep it really intimate so now we're doing a 40-person wedding in Italy and keeping it to our closest friends and even closest family members we're not even inviting cousins and extended people and um our wedding is significantly cheaper even though it's um all the way in italy so that's something um i've just kind of gotten some perspective on the second time around yeah that that is a really good point well Kristen, congratulations um so excited for your wedding <laughs> it sounds like yeah, it'll be amazing um but yes. you're making me think about the cost of weddings here and how the wedding industry shonda is responding to these trends and these new pressures to have big blowout weddings long and lots of wedding related activities uh, are they playing a role in why it ends up being sometimes jaw-droppingly expensive? No. And the way, the reason I say that is because we have to look after COVID and how um, some of the items are, the availability of like different flowers, mm. all of that plays into why cost have gone up. And that was a conversation I had to have with our 2023 and 24 clients is because because of the shortages and some of the situations that other creatives are going through, the cost goes up. And I feel like there's this narrative that goes on about wedding creatives and how we are just out to grab everyone's money. But first of all, it's money that that clients tell us to spend, at least for from a planner's perspective, 
they know what they're comfortable with and they give us a budget. So that's the first thing. Yeah. And then the second thing, it's the, it's the, um, the cost of their items and everyone wants to make money in this industry. So we have to add on a, a uh, income to that. So that's why it's not on purpose. It's because of the cost of goods and everything has gone up because of availability. Hmm. Well, Trish writes, I think wedding sprawl is a logical conclusion of how consumed our culture is with self, which in my opinion has been fueled by social media. Okay, so Seal Otmus, you have noted that the rituals we have say a lot about us as a culture, and I'm very curious what you would say this trend is revealing or reinforcing about our culture. Do you think it's what Trish is saying, or do you think it's something else? Well, clearly we have this, um, you know, still global consumer culture industry that fosters desire for lots of abundant choices in, you know, almost every product category that we can think of. Think about the cereal aisle, for example, just in the grocery store. But I would also say that um, probably in most cultures, because of the significance of this event as a sort of family signifier and maybe even a subcultural signifier, that you know, uh, we are in a competitive culture. I mean, if you think about what I what I find fascinating about all the various institutions in cultures is they often have, you know, indirect effects on each other. So if you think about, for example, just the pervasiveness of sports in America and how competitive that is and the pervasiveness of discussions about how you have to have a great career and you you know you have to succeed in your career all of that competitiveness in the workplace in sport etc i think kind of just uh, sort of um you know feeds into the competitiveness that we have as social beings as beings in social cultures in social classes etc uh because and it's very interesting in fact that there used to be used to be the case that sort of per you know as far as your kind of um per capita expenditure on weddings the sort of um working class and uh like uh lower middle class weddings used to represent much more of a bite out of the budget than middle and upper class weddings and part of it was because if you didn't spend what you needed to spend to um have those weddings then it looked like you couldn't afford them. So mm. we do have this competitive sort of, um, uh, I think we have competitive, I think some people are like that. I do think, of course, social media exacerbates the competition. Um, yeah, so I think that's one big interesting. factor. Yeah, interesting that that is what you feel like is infuses or this and, and maybe even reinforces this some. Um, we have a bunch of comments all over the place. Jeff writes, I'm a gay man and the expanse and complexity of my husband and my marriage was as simple as bundling my mom and stepfather into the car and going to the courthouse in Santa Clara. Another listener writes, I've been to a lot of weddings and it got to be a chore after a time, but after the pandemic and not being able to see people, I was all for it. I was happy to get lots of invitations and to show up. For me, the pandemic made it so much more important to take advantage of those moments to be together. It's been the year of yes to the RSVP. <laughs> Let me go to Alex next. Hi, Alex, you're on. Hi. Yeah, I... Uh... My husband and I intentionally kept our budget very small on our wedding while we could have spent more money, uh, and we found the day to be important and found it important to have a wedding. 
Uh, we just didn't want to put a financial burden on ourselves since we were paying for it for ourselves and start our, our marriage off that way. So, but, you know, it got really complicated as we're planning and you get sucked into Pinterest and Instagram and, <laughs> and I was seeing all these things, you know, that I felt like, oh, our wedding needs this flair. Like I found myself spending probably an hour trying to decide what cocktail best described us as a couple and I'd have to snap out of it and, and kind of reprioritize and, you know, know I'm marrying the person that I love and that's the most important thing and, mm-hmm. and making sure we stay within our budgets is important. And the day was fantastic. We, we um, stayed on budget and I couldn't be more happy with the results and I don't regret not spending more money. Oh, well, I'm so glad you're so happy with the results, Alex. Thanks for, for sharing that story. <laughs> well, Annie, I am so curious, based on your reporting, whether you think this trend of bigger weddings, especially the uptake that you've seen and documented, do you think it's here to stay? Um, <laughs> I don't think see it going away anytime soon. Um, there's just, I just don't think there's any reason that there would. Um you know, from the experts that I spoke with, it's fairly recession proof. It's just a thing that people value so much. But, you know, we economists have been predicting some kind of recession. Um, What degree that is, we don't know. But, you know, it's hard to see that not having some impact on, on people spending in in general. So yeah. And as someone who just, who planned their wedding a couple of years ago, I think you said, and, and, did it kind of middle of the road? You got married at a park in Seattle, for example. If if it's true that it is here to stay, what are some ways from your own experience to be to be thoughtful about it in your view? Yeah. Um, I mean, for, for what it's worth, I had an amazing time at my wedding. Um, it was so fun. I don't regret it. I definitely spent on things that some people probably would think was ridiculous. Like I think $2,000 on videography. Um, and that was just for us. That's because I want to have a record of older people, but I have many friends who, who think that that's, that was ridiculous. But, um, you know, we, we did have a lot of people coming in from out of town, especially on my husband's side and several older people, um, who relatives are no longer with us already. So that really reinforced to me why, I am glad that we had it and that we shared that experience with them. Um, there were details of the venue itself that were like kind of a joke in terms of niceness. So like, feel like I said, it was a, it's, it was the Arboretum in Seattle, which is, it's, it is a nice, it's a real venue. It's, it's not, it's not just like a literal picnic table. Like it had, it's a place and it was, we had normal catering and such, but like the bathroom, for instance, was kind of a park. And I was definitely kind of insecure about what people's, <laughs> there was nothing to be done about it though. Like there was, if we wanted to have it at this venue, which we did, um, it was just something I had to like suppress my own ego and be like, people care about us. I think they'll overlook this detail. Um, yeah. and, and on all sides, I think just being open to people offering to help, like my mom's friend very generously donated flowers to us that were like gathered from a nearby I don't even know she she got all these wildflowers um and they were so that that was free but I didn't get really have a say in what they would look like um and I just accepted that so I guess being open to other people helping as as you see fit if if you are the type of person who, who can do that um and um 
Yeah, I guess just just letting go of, you know, Ishana even mentioned that too, like letting go of some of the things that maybe you've seen elsewhere being exactly and focusing on what's important. And what was important to us was having a particular people in one place and in showing them a good time and, um, and, you know, showing them that we cared about them. Yeah. Well, that's, that sounds beautiful. Um, we have a couple more comments. Wendy writes, I believe the time for a big party is when a young person leaves the family home. That's when they need the support and the gifts, regardless of whether someone marries three times or none, we all leave home. A leaving home party supports independence. Susan writes, I find this a little sad since the marriage is so much more important than the wedding. The marriage is so much more important than the wedding. I admire a couple who requested no gifts and a donation to a worthy cause. Years ago, my mother offered a house down payment if I would elope. I accepted the offer, but had a beautiful wedding with our closest friends in the backyard of our now very valuable home. You know, one of the things is these two comments are making me think about is there really is a lot of this will be the biggest day of your life. This will be the most important moment of your life. And I have come to learn uh, (laughs) that actually, to be honest, there are many opportunities to have many very, very important moments in your life to celebrate. So don't be too worried that your wedding is one of only a few. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to some more calls. Pervy in San Jose. Thanks for waiting. Pervy, you're on. Hi. Um, I'm actually a wedding planner and been in the area for 20 years. And I'm, we are very specialized in multicultural and the South Asian wedding. Hmm. So with my 20 years of experience, a couple of things I think you guys already covered that, yes, the South Asian weddings are pretty big and elaborate um, because of culture because of financial background and the very late of their age, they are getting married in their 30s, but definitely that's all covered. The Another thing we have found is in the multicultural wedding that because it, it's true melting pot and people do want to invite their friends and family to witness this a two side of the culture and they actually extend their invitation to the lot more people than probably just a small group of the people. So um, I'll take off of there. Okay. Well, well, thank you for that comment. I, I really appreciate that. I don't know if you had a response Shonda to, to what Pervy was sharing. A hundred percent on point, a hundred percent. And, and, it, it extends to every single culture. That's what people are doing now. They want to invite and celebrate and do all of those things. And like, like Annie said, if, it's, if it doesn't resonate with you, if it's not within your budget frame, that is absolutely okay. Do yeah. what's, what speaks to you and what, what excites you. Let me go to Karen in San Jose. Karen, thanks for waiting as well. You're on. No problem. Thank you for taking my call. I'm so interested in what everybody is saying and a little shocked as well as a mother of um, 23-year-old son and daughter twins um, and anticipate, you know, having finished pretty much paying for college and um, didn't really put aside money for weddings. (laughs) And I'm wondering what the social um, expectation is um, about bride parents paying for everything, especially Hmm. with a daughter who has champagne taste and a beer budget. And (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> I can't. So well, that's I, such. I, I love that champagne tasted. We have budget. no. We have no weddings in the future, but I'm <laughs> just anticipating. <laughs> ah, so have the expectations changed, Shonda, with these changes in the modern wedding for what the bride's family has to do? <laughs> So all I have to say, and I'm saying this with love, is start saving now. <laughs> no, really, um, it, it really depends on the family dynamics and how the family likes to entertain, right? So that's where, that's where all the pressure comes from. Because like, say, for instance, the families and the, the parents who are paying, it's their thought of of having all of their intimate friends, all of their friend groups come to an event that they are hosting, right? That That is it. So it really depends on how your family dynamics is, how you're used to entertaining. That pressure has never changed and will never change. Hmm. Well, um, let me read just a final comment here. The sister writes on Instagram, I married two times, a hippie wedding at age 20 with about 10 people on a trail in the Rocky Mountains, and the second at age 32 with two witnesses and a judge under a Balboa tree in Balboa Park. As the co-author of a book on marrying according to your goals and values, not just until death do you part, I, a two-time divorcee, am always amazed that couples spend more time planning for their wedding than for their marriage. Well, I want to thank our listeners for sharing the stories of their weddings or their weddings to be and their thoughts on this trend of ballooning marriages and ballooning, sorry, ballooning weddings and wedding sprawl. Thanks, Annie Atherton, for your piece. Welcome to Wedding Sprawl. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Also, Shonda Daniels, so great to have your insights. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Zia Lotness, thank you for helping us think about why all this is happening. Appreciate you being on too. Thank you. It's a really fun topic. And thank you, uh, Grace Wan and Rachel Vasquez for producing today's segment. Forum is also produced by Caroline Smith, Lakshmi Sara, Susan Britton is our lead producer, Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer, our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Jim Bennett, and Christopher Beal. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Vice President of News is Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and our Chief Content Officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Celebrate the weekend, folks. This is Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.